uh, together. Um, but other than that, we are in week two of Easter tide or the season of Easter. Or just like the 12 days of Christmas begins with Christmas and follows 12 days after, there is a season of Easter as well. Christmas Day, December 25th, there's a season after that. Uh, Easter Sunday always comes around, and there is a season after Easter as well. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be continuing uh, to talk about what the resurrection of Jesus makes possible. Um, We're going to be talking about the implications of, hey, now that Jesus has risen from the grave, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for humanity? What what does that mean of what it means to be alive? And so uh, we're going to be following that theme all season long, all Eastertide long. So today we're going to specifically be looking at how the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes possible unity amongst people. So the scriptures that we read, um, the, the prayers that we pray are going to focus in on this theme of unity, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but what we want to reiterate right from the beginning is that Jesus makes this so. Jesus makes this possible. The resurrection of Jesus does this. And so we're going to be approaching unity far more from a reality rather than a goal, if that makes sense. A lot of time we talk about the goal of unity or, or the, the act of unity or the act of reconciliation of wanting to put efforts towards unifying people groups, which would be a goal, something to work towards. We're going to be approaching the concept of unity today as something that has already happened. The, the work of Christ has already unified us, and we're one in Christ Jesus, and it's just true. And so we're going to be talking about that today, reading about that today in the scriptures. So um, I would invite you to join me in uh, preparing our minds, our hearts, and even our bodies for uh, this time of worship where we're going to pray together and read of the scriptures and engage with some songs and and things like that. I just am so uh, encouraged that this is the way we get to start our weeks together. So um, let's pray um, the, the prayer will be on the screen behind me, and I'll lead us in the first part, and then we'll pray together out loud in uh, the second part. So let's pray together. Mighty God, in whom we know the power of redemption, you stand among us in the shadows of our time as we move through every sorrow and trial of this life. Uphold us with knowledge of the final morning when, in the glorious presence of your risen Son, we will share in his resurrection, redeemed and restored to the fullness of life and forever freed to be your people. Amen. I love that last phrase, forever free to be your people. Yes. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. 
Listen to how the psalmist describes unity. It's like precious oil poured on someone's head to cleanse them, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's like the dew of a mountain. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's a short one. Those psalms in the 130s are short. Um, Psalm 133, how good and beautiful and precious it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like a precious oil that's used to cleanse um, and to bless and to anoint. And so we're going to be talking about, once again, that today. Um, In just a minute, Ty's going to lead us in a few songs, and Reachway Kids are going to go head out with Pastor Cassie and have their their time of uh, worship and gathering as well. Um, So as we prepare to engage with these songs, uh, let's pray together, and then we'll go ahead and uh, do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, that we have a chance to be together this morning. Um, We are reminded uh, this week and even these last few weeks that a new season is here, not only this season of Easter, but uh, spring is here, where we're seeing a lot more green, we're seeing a lot more flowers, we're seeing a lot more colors and growth, and so... Uh, With that in mind, this morning, we thank you for the rain. Uh, We thank you that this rain is going to work with your creation to bring about new life, new evidence of things springing up from the ground. Um, So we're just just swept up in that today, uh, reminding ourselves that um, things that maybe lie below the surface right now have the potential to grow and have the potential to spring up into something new. And so we give you great praise for that. Uh, Be with us, Lord. Uh, Dwell and move and speak amongst us as we engage with these songs and continue to investigate the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to enter into a time where we um, stay with this theme of unity with the scriptures, um, and then we're going to have a time of prayer together. Um, In Acts chapter 4 is what we're going to be reading from very briefly as we continue to explore uh, this theme of unity. Now, the book of Acts, um, we went through in its entirety last, uh, over this last summer. And so uh, this, this scripture will be somewhat familiar um, because we read it within the last year and, and talked about it and things like that. Um, of course, when we uh, look at a, a book of the Bible, we want to talk about what's going on in the book. And of course, this This book of Acts gives us a picture of what we would call the early church or first century church. Jesus had his ministry. He had disciples. He he died. He uh, was buried. He descended. He rose from the grave and ascended. um, And at this point as well, has sent the Spirit of God at Pentecost. And so now the disciples of Jesus still living forming what we now call the church. They have the Holy Spirit, and they're starting to figure out what it means to be the church um, on mission and sharing the gospel and things like that. And so that's where we enter in, in Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32. And our theme is unity. Listen to this, this passage. 
all the believers were one in heart and one in mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it in the apostles' uh, trust, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And we'll go ahead and end there at verse 35. This, this on the surface, insignificant couple of sentences in the middle of the book of Acts speaks so powerfully to the rhythms of uh, the first century church. And we read right there that there was a direct connection between supporting one another and testifying to the resurrection of Jesus that it was in the same breath as um, Jesus is risen from the dead, yes and amen, and hey, how can we help you? It, it, w- it was the same. It, it was connected. And so last week we ended, and we'll be talking about um, this whole season of Easter last week, we kind of ended on um, how, how are ways that we can behave because Jesus rose from the dead? And this is one of them. Um, the, the, the apostles, the disciples, they're doing it right before our eyes here in Acts chapter 4. So a really cool passage to, to hold on to and to read this morning. Um, with that in mind, um, let's go ahead and enter into a time of prayer, what we call prayers of the people, where we read a passage of Scripture and then we um, enter into a time of prayer. I, I would encourage you, uh, this morning we're talking about unity, we're talking about... Um, others that we know, right, and, and all being one in Christ. I would encourage you in, in this time this morning um, uh, to really try and uh, search, search in your mind those names, those faces, those people that you know, friends, family members, um, that, that we can bring to the Lord in prayer this morning. Maybe our neighbors, uh, people that we know at work or wherever else. Let's uh, perhaps... Um, focus some of our en- energies this morning on, on bringing to the Lord in prayer um, others uh, that we might know who need some support, need some encouragement, and things like that. So um, I'll go ahead and uh, lead us briefly into that time, and then I'll uh, pause, and we'll take a few deep breaths together. We'll, we'll pray together uh, silently, and then we'll um, pray out loud together Um, using the Lord here, our prayer. Um. Oh God, your son remained with his disciples after his resurrection. He taught them to love all people as neighbors. As his disciples of this age, we offer our prayers on behalf of our neighbors in which we are privileged to live and share this creation with them. Let's pray.
Lord, we ask that you would be with those who work in healthcare and education and other fields that are being stretched during this pandemic. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with those in our community who are on the front lines of justice efforts in our region. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we give you great thanks for the healthy and successful birth of Sasha's new boy. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would continue to be with our neighbors and those that we come into contact with on the streets we live on, the places that we work, and the places where we shop and recreate and spend time. Lord, hear our prayer. Father, open our hearts to your power moving around us and between us and within us until your glory is revealed in our love of both friend and enemy, in communities transformed by justice and compassion, and in the healing of all that is broken. Amen. And amen. The passage that we're going to engage with for the next couple of minutes is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, starting at verse 19. This is going to include the character who is commonly referred to as Doubting Thomas. Perhaps you have, uh, have heard of one of the disciples, of course, named Thomas, uh, but we normally attach the word <laughs> doubting <laughs> to his name, which man, drew, the, drew the short straw there um, for, for having such a nickname. Uh, but nonetheless, there is a story, uh, there is a story for us to read, and um, an and exciting one at that. And um, so I'll go ahead and read that for us, just to catch us up to speed once again on where we're at in um, the the narrative of Scripture, obviously Easter Sunday being last week, we are now reading passages of Scripture uh, where Jesus has already risen from the dead. So in the Gospel of John chapter 20, starting at verse 19, we're going to read about Jesus appearing to the disciples after the resurrection. And that's where we're picking up with this story. So I'll go ahead and read John 20, starting at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the risen Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, 
their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples went to him and said, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And once again, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said again, peace be with you. And then he went to Thomas and said, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have still believed. And we'll go ahead and stop there. The differentiation, separation, alienation, and segregation of people based on a countless number of attributes is a human problem. And it is about as old as humanity itself. In the scriptures, one of the main points of what I would call human sorting is what we call ethnocentrism, ethno-ethnicity, right? It's a type of segregation based on one's ethnicity, which is almost always tied to a geography, that is a place, and also a culture. So when we read words like the Israelites, these were people from Israel, but they were not only from that place, but based on where they lived, there was a culture about them. There was a way of life about them. And so we call that ethnicity, geography, and culture. The same would be true for when we read words like the Samaritans, or the Gentiles, or the Sadducees. Those are just a few examples of different people groups that we live about, uh, read about, who live in different places and have different cultures. And if you've read through the Gospels a, a time or two, for example, you will learn um, that the Samaritans were not well-liked. They were from geography. They were from a place where folks would rather not live, and their culture was a little bit uh, off-putting for those in power, and so they were just bad. The people who live over there, the Samaritans, are bad. That's an example of ethnocentrism. In modern days, we have the Western European construct of race. 
race is a relatively new thing. It was, it was developed as, um, once again, a dividing point in like the 17 and 1800s. And on the continent that we're on right now, it, it's, it's new. We don't read about it in the Bible. What we read about in the Bible is ethnocentrism. Here in our modern time, less about ethnocentrism, and it's more about the construct of race, which serves as a massive tool of segregation, enslavement, and oppression. This is obvious if we observe the history of not only our country, but many other countries all around the world. But we add to the list ethnicity, culture, and race. We also add gender. We add socioeconomics, how much money does someone have? We add sexuality. We add geography. We add political affiliations. And it seems that the list goes on forever. Once again, this is a human problem, and it seems that though humans are very good at creating categories for ourselves, <laughs> uh, to um, maybe limit opportunities for those in that category and increase opportunities for those in another. It's a huge problem. And um, humans who have made these categories, unfortunately, these categories have done things like divide families. There are some people, and we mourn this reality, who have learned that a family member or a friend now belonged or has belonged to a certain category, and we, and we never talk to them again. <laughs> it's sad. It's tough. That's bad. But categories do this. We, we let categories do this. Categories like that have started wars. They've started actual world wars. We've allowed categories to do that. Categories that we have made fragment relationships and friendships. Categories that we have made enslave people. They oppress people. And they do so many other horrible, nonsensical things. Pastor Seth, this better get better quick. <laughs> and it will. Next sentence. Here's what we need to understand, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has defeated death by exiting the grave and therefore has reconfigured life and what it means to be human. And Jesus has done this around God's character, power, heart, and authority. Because Jesus defeated the tool of death, death now no longer has the final word, and now life must look different. It has to. And in this spirit, we here in the United States of America in the year 2020, we join in the voice of the Apostle Paul as he declares in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that because Jesus rose from the dead, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male 
and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. That is a reality. That is something that has already been done, and it's, it's whether we like it or not. Jesus has done it. It's done. It's finished. We are all one. And if I could add, there is neither fill in the blank nor fill in the blank, for we have all been made one in Christ Jesus. If you want to, as an exercise this week, write down every list of two competing things that you can think of. If you want to do that, just to let the magnitude of that declaration from Paul really sink in to our minds and our hearts and even our bodies that there is neither this nor that. We are all one in Christ. There's another dividing point that I want to talk about. This one hits home really, really close for Christians, for us. And not just us here today, but for a long time. And that, that point of division is right belief, beliefs. Or not even right beliefs, because those are argued a bunch, so, so let's just talk about having the same beliefs, right? We're, we're talking about belief or agreement on beliefs. The idea of belief is one of the most fragmenting points for Jesus' followers and the church. That is true today, and it has been true forever. <laughs> and it's at that moment that we enter into the story of the risen Jesus, the disciples, and doubting Thomas. We're talking about belief. I want us to focus on this morning how the disciples reacted to Thomas's unbelief. That's what I want us to focus on today. There are so many different directions that we could go with that passage. I want us to go this direction this morning. We're talking about unity. We're talking about beliefs. And I want us to see how the disciples reacted to Thomas's unbelief. Because in John chapter 20, verse 25, Thomas tells the disciples that unless certain circumstances present themselves, he will not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, is a pretty big sticking point for us. <laughs> to not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to not be a Christian. We understand this. And Thomas looks his friends in the eye and says, I don't believe you. And I'm not going to believe you unless X, Y, and Z all take place. And how do the disciples respond? Verse 26. They invited him over for dinner. <laughs> John chapter 20, verse 26. 
a week after telling the disciples that he didn't believe them, Thomas was with them. (laughs) They invited him over to hang out. I think the disciples intuitively knew that because Jesus rose from the dead, they had the freedom to welcome anyone into their midst. Why, why, why can we say that? Well, because when Jesus appeared to the disciples when Thomas wasn't there, Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit and says, if you forgive anyone, they're forgiven. And what do the disciples do? They forgive Thomas. And maybe they never said out loud, Thomas, we forgive you. But I don't know if it gets much more as an act of a forgiveness than inviting someone into your home. If you were here for Good Friday, uh, excuse me, Maundy Thursday, we talked about the idea of sharing a meal with someone who would betray you. What? Like, how, how is that even possible? We talked about the impossibility of that. The disciples are doing it. They are welcoming someone into their midst who does not believe like them, which is a powerful thing. So this is what I want us to focus on this morning. This is what I want us to know today, this week, forevermore. That because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everyone is unified and everyone is made one by the love of God. It's done. It already happened. This is a standing reality that is true, full stop, and there's nothing we can do about it. So then, what does this mean? That's the question we're asking ourselves during, during Easter. Jesus rose from the dead. What does this mean? Jesus rose from the dead and has unified everyone because Jesus has defeated death. Well, what does that mean? What it means is that every single person on planet Earth is deserving of a seat at each and every one of our dinner tables. And it means that every single person on planet Earth is deserving of a seat on each and every one of our front porches or back patios or garages. And it means that every single person on planet Earth is deserving of one of these red cushiony seats here in the sanctuary of Reachway Church. That's what it means. It means that every single person is deserving of our love and not eligible, but deserving. There's a difference between I could love someone, I, they are eligible to receive my love, and I am being told by God to love that person, right? Difference between eligibility and command or, or deserving. Every single person is deserving of our love, deserving of our support, and is deserving of service as a community of Jesus followers. 
Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, each and every one of us can love, welcome, and be friends with whoever you want. I want you to hear your your pastor saying that. I was reflecting on this morning with Ty a few days ago, and um, and I, I just, I want you to know that you can be friends with whoever you want to be, and you're not going to be a sinner for doing it. And I want you to hear this, because, because this, this culture we find ourselves in, this world that we find ourselves in, what, what is it? It's guilty by association. And this was Jesus' whole thing that Jesus had to deal with. Oh, you had a dinner with prostitutes and tax collectors? And what, what we mean there is Jesus, the self-proclaimed son of God, was seen at dinner tables with people who had the physically dirtiest professions and the people who had, the, uh, the when it comes from a moral uh, standpoint, the most rotten job that you could ever have. Prostitutes, tax collectors. Jesus was, you want to talk about guilty by association? I think I saw Pastor Seth over at Morton Square Park talking to a prostitute. How on earth would you react to that? That's how you would have reacted to Jesus. The coolest part about this story for me is not, um, and it's, it's a cool part that we can be friends with anyone, because I got to tell you, um, there's a lot of cool people out there. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of cool people out there that it doesn't necessarily make sense um, why uh, Christians would be friends with them. But I want to tell you that those lines have been not only blurred, they've been eliminated. The book of Ephesians tells us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has, quote, torn down the dividing walls between humanity. Whoa! Are you kidding me? What does that mean? Oh, I can talk to that neighbor now? Oh, that changes everything. I can talk to that family member who said that that one time 20 years ago, and I can have dinner with them again? Oh, that changes everything. That's pretty cool, but it gets even cooler. Ready? Thomas tells the disciples he doesn't believe him. The disciples have him over the next week for, you know, playing checkers and having nachos. And because the disciples let him back into their midst, Thomas met Jesus. That's the coolest part. That's the coolest part. If we would be willing as Christians, and I'm not saying we're not, but I'm saying if we would become willing, if we would grow in our willingness, if we would open up our net, if we would open up, if we would just build a bigger table, if we would just open up ourselves that there's not a person on earth who is off limits from our love, our compassion, our friendship, our fellowship with, then they just might meet Jesus. I love it. I love it. 
That's the power of the fellowship of this congregation. That's the power of the fellowship of believers is that when, when anyone is among us, because the Holy Spirit is dwelling not only within us, but among us as well, because the Holy Spirit of God is among us, when other people are in our presence, other people are in the presence of the Spirit of God. We read how two or more are gathered, Jesus is there with them. So let's figure out more ways for at least two of us to get together <laughs> and then welcome someone into our fellowship. And all of a sudden, someone is sitting in the presence of God and they weren't before. And can I tell you that that is what one of the things that we really hope to achieve with this move towards the North Valley Commons. Because we're talking about holding community meetings here. We're talking about picnic spaces in our backyard we're talking about picnic tables. We're talking about a, a serenity meditation garden. We're talking about stuff for kids to do, stuff for adults to do, stuff for the whole family to do. And all of a sudden, we just have people mingling with people. And it's not going to matter what skin color we have. It's not going to matter what church we go to or if we go to a church. It's not going to matter what neighborhood we live in. It's not going to matter what kind of car we drive or house that we live in or any other belief because they don't have to check those things in at the door in order to be here, right? That's not how we operate as Christians. We say, if you want to chill, we're open. <laughs> you want to have a picnic over here? Well, here's a seat next to me, six feet apart though, <laughs> for now. <laughs> And all of a sudden, we start seeing what I know we all desire, which is a movement of God in some really, really horrible times right now. I know, just because I know you and your stories and others who have gathered here who are not here this morning, I know deep down inside of us, we just want more than anything else for just God to do something new because, man, I am sick of the old. The old has to go away, and I want the new. And I think that's where it begins. I think it begins with us being just open. Now... Um, there are a couple of different ways that we can actually um, intentionally engage in that practice. What I mean by that is this. If you have a cell phone, then you have a contacts list, right? And before cell phones and before contacts list, we had, uh, what do we call them, Rolodexes, right? We had, or little books where we just wrote numbers in or, you know, addresses, and that's how we kept track of people. Um, there are ways in which we can utilize tools like that as a way to move a bit more intentionally into, um, okay, who has God given me to be responsible for? Who are the people I live near? Maybe I don't live near people. Who are the people I work near? Um, maybe I don't work near people. Who are the people I shop near? 
um, you know, all, all these different people, humans, that we find ourselves in regular contact with, there are ways in which we can intentionally gather around um, really investigating who are these people that maybe God has put me here on this planet on purpose to be the love of God for that person. There's, a, there's actual strategies and actual trainings that we can employ to do that. Ty and I have done them before. And we're going to have them here at Reachway sooner than later um, for those who are willing to. Because what I'm not necessarily saying is everyone get up from your seats when we're done and go out into the, and just go start knocking on random houses and be my friend. I'm, I'm saying that God has already put people in your life to, to have compassionate service-driven responsibility over. We've talked about how we're the light of the world because someone has to be. We've talked about how we're the salt of the earth because someone has to be. There are people around us everywhere that we could possibly turn that maybe don't have one single person in their life that is even praying for them. There are 7 billion people on this planet. It's hard to believe that there's people around us that don't even have one person who knows their name and brings that name to the creator of the universe. But I tell you that it's true. There are some people out there in this big, prosperous land that are lonely. And they've been forgotten and they've slipped through the cracks. And as the people of God, because we're unified with them, we've got, we have some responsibility. And so there's going to come a day, maybe in the next month or two, where we um, have a training, we have a conversation, these regular rhythms around who has God put in your life already? And how can we just serve them and, and extend that hand to them? Because it's clear that that's what we're supposed to do. And we can as well. And we're not going to, you know, be in trouble for it.